0: Thank you. Welcome to Open Mind GFO Radio. This is your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I am all by myself today. No Martin, no Lou Elizondo either, but don't worry, don't worry. I have a lot of good information. In fact, I think this is going to be better because what I decided is, you know, there are, I'm getting in a lot of questions for Lou Elizondo, who used to run that Pentagon program, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. And I'm realizing, you know, a lot of people don't completely understand what ATIP was or what they did. And there's a lot of confusion. So I decided, you know, it would be a good idea. Is to share with you all kind of the timeline of how all this happened. You know what happened when and and who and I think that way people will have a better understanding of how all of this works before we go into the interview with Lou, which should be next week. If not next week, trust me, it's going to be very very soon. Um, it'll probably be next week, and I'll still include in this timeline some exclusive information I've gotten from Lou recently uh, that others haven't, and actually a lot of that. That will also be in the news that I'll be covering in just a minute. So we'll be going over this really important timeline here very soon, uh, just after the break. Uh, I also want to say, though, the news is really important this week. And I have some great stuff in there, too, uh, regarding all of this, including updates from Lou. But first, the intro, Open Mind UFO Radio presents credible UFO news and information from a journalistic point of view. So this is substantiated, credible information from the mainstream. We do, of course, have guests, and, and we do speculate and things at time. but uh, we're calling speculation speculation. This isn't all just about speculation, whereas a lot of the UFO field is about myth, mythology and speculation. We're bringing you the facts and the details and the info, and right now is a very unique, unique time in history, because we're getting a lot of very credible information, great stuff. And so I'll be sharing a lot of that with you throughout the show. So stay tuned. Uh, Let's go ahead and get into that news first. So if you go to openminds.tv, we've always got the news, the UFO headlines on the front page, and there have been some really important headlines this week, and let's get into that. First of all, exclusive, the I-Team confirms the Pentagon did release the UFO videos. So there has been some question as to where the UFO videos that were in the New York Times article and that uh, To the Stars, this UFO organization started by Tom DeLong, all came from. Uh, Now, it's kind of funny because even though these questions exist, In the mainstream, nobody's really been asking about these. Why? Because when the world learned about these videos, that they existed, it was through the New York Times. In December 2017, the New York Times had said, hey, you know, this Pentagon uh, project existed that was looking into UFOs. Here's details. Here's some cases they looked at. And it includes these videos they said they got from the DOD. Now, when it comes to mainstream media and i know a lot of you look uh, probably negative on mainstream media but you know and they they are they don't do their typical due diligence typically in the ufo uh, arena But in this case, they certainly did. They held uh, this story to the standards that they hold all their other stories. So all the information that they presented was carefully vetted, and uh, they were able to make sure that everything they received was real and on the up and up before they reported that. How can I say this with such strong confidence? It's because I'm one of the few people who have interviewed Leslie Kane, one of the authors of uh, the New York Times article, and she's confirmed all of this with us. Am I, uh, I, you know, I'm not also saying, emphasizing that, you know, I'm one of the few who have interviewed her uh, on this topic to make myself seem special. No, just the opposite. What's frustrating about this situation is there's a lot of people casting doubt and uh, also implying that there's some... uh, poor reporting or that there are some people being uh, dishonest. But they're not going to the sources of the information to even find that out. What's frustrating, and Leslie and I have talked about this lately, is that I'm one of the few people, if not the only person, that has asked her about many of these things, despite the number of people out there speculating and casting uh, suspicion and also uh, casting implications that are all completely accurate. So I've known this for a long time. Right after you know, I interviewed her soon after that report came out. So we've had this information; we've known how she got this, and and um, and where, and and why they believe that you know these were definitely DOD videos. And in fact, I wrote an article on this, and I'll, I'll talk to you guys about that in just a second. But a part of this was this form, the DD nineteen ten, and this is a form that uh, that essentially is used to present to the higher-ups to say, hey, is it okay to release this information? Um, And then the information is released. Leslie, in our interview, uh, right after she helped with that New York Times article, said that they had a copy of this DD-1910, and that and they verified it was real, and that's one of the reasons they knew, you know, these videos came from the DoD, this form had said so. Well, the news is, in this KLAS story that I'm talking about here, is that finally we've been able to see this form. The New York Times did not release that form. No one has, despite a few people, uh, including myself, having seen a copy of the form, but nobody had permission to release it. Well, George Knapp finally got it with KLAS. Uh, George Knapp, of course, being a great investigative journalist. In fact, he's the go-to guy really with this story. Um, I would think that maybe I'm the number two go-to guy with this story. (laughs) Because I'm spending so much time to verify and get you information. But George Knapp is the best. I mean, George Knapp is really digging. He's going to Washington. He's getting all this great information. And he released the DD-1910. And thus he said, the I-Team confirms the Pentagon did release the UFO videos. Well, there has been some doubt. And, you know, to be fair... Uh, all of the doubt was, uh, it's not like all this doubt was silly. It was a little bit warranted in that uh, George, or I'm sorry, John Greenwald of the Black Vault uh, asked the DOD about these videos, and he wanted to see that form. Uh But the DOD told him we it had nothing to do with uh, the videos that were released. In fact, this is really important, their verbiage. So I'm going to read uh, exactly what they told him. They told John the DOD has not released the videos related to this program. So people are like, what? You know, uh, DOD didn't have anything to do with it, even though New York Times told us they had. So uh, that's why people were questioning. It's one of the reasons people were legitimately questioning all of this. Well, when this KLAS story came out on May 1st, just uh, right after I released my last show, essentially, the uh, George... uh, John Greenwald got another response from the DOD. And it's kind of interesting that John Greenwald is the first one the DOD gives information to. In fact, here's what I predicted. It, and I'm not, I'm trying to be as nice as possible, but this is the truth. I predicted that John Greenwald would be the first one that would get a response from the DOD. And that uh, instead of just kind of putting out this response, that somehow it would be spun to criticize to the stars of Louis Elizondo as opposed to criticizing the DOD. Um, and sure enough, that's what happened. But what's spectacular, what's interesting is what they did tell John Greenwald. They told him that they confirmed that the DD-1910 is real. Uh, they did say at the end of their document that the submitter requested that the videos solely be uh, released solely for research and analysis purpose by the U.S. government agencies and industry partners and not for the general public release. So John said, "Uh, you know what? The DOD confirms they did not release these videos. But that's not really what happened here. They confirmed the DD-1910 is real. So they did confirm that uh, the documents were the they had released this video. In fact, If you look at the document, now what the DOD is referring to is that there were some stipulations in this document as to what these videos would be used for, at least in the request. The requester, who we're not sure who that is, we have not confirmed who that is, and Lou uh, has said that he cannot confirm who that is either, but this is what they wrote. They said uh, when it came to where it was going to be presented, they wrote, not applicable, not for publication, research and analysis only and info sharing with other USG and industry partners for the purpose of developing a database to help identify analyze and ultimately defeat UAS threats what is UAS you may be wondering uh, which is a great question there's a couple ways I've seen that term used there is the most common usage which is a unmanned aerial system but another term way that term has been used is an unidentified aerial system. We should have Lou on the show soon, so we'll ask him uh, his thoughts on that term and what he feels that that term had meant. But what we do not see here is that it's not released for the general public. In fact, this document is to release information to the public. It's called a clearance request for public release, and it was approved on August 24th, 2017, and the videos were released. Nowhere on here does it say it's not released for the, to the general public. In fact, it says it is for databases, for industry partners, but it doesn't say that these databases cannot be public-facing. The only thing it says is it's not for publication, but a publication is a publishing, like in a book or in a journal or in an article, which in August 2017, apparently, you know, the request was not to do that. Some people are asking, well, then how did it get in the New York Times? Well, this document wasn't the document that released it to the New York Times. We don't necessarily know. We have some information, and I'll share that with you, uh, new information from Leslie, who's essentially saying, yes, they're real. Uh, You know, we were given these videos, and we verified they're real, so I'm not even sure why there's any question here. So, the DOD's comment to John Greenwald was not accurate. It it was released to the general public. Why are they spinning it like this? Uh, why did they do that? It doesn't surprise me at all, because the DOD Public Relations Department has not been very forthcoming when it comes to all of this. I have had no FOIA requests. Uh, I've called. I've contacted them. I've talked to some people. I've emailed. They haven't given me anything. Uh, And it's not just me. Of course, I'm kind of low man on the totem pole. It's not like I'm coming from a larger news organization and asking for information, but others have not received information as well. Uh, You know, John seems to be receiving most of the information. So uh, it, I think there's here, this is me speculating again, but, and I've learned a lot about FOIA through John Greenwald and how these departments work. Not, not only that, but by writing about UFOs and often these departments are wrong at the beginning or they uh, will not give us information until a big news organization comes into the scene and they start asking questions and they get more headway or they'll tell us they don't have records and it turns out that they do. And that's why a, a public you know, uh, relations department is just for that, what the public is going to see, um, you know, a spin and making it a positive story for that military organization. So I don't think they wanted to just outright n- address that they were lying. I mean, I think that would have been the honest way to do it. And maybe they weren't lying. Maybe they were wrong. And we've seen this before, where they said, we did not know that there actually was information related to this, which is fair and probably honest. And that's probably what should have been done in this case, is that we were not aware of this document. It turns out that the DOD did release these videos. That would have been an honest way to do it. But to say that it wasn't released for general public release, is just not accurate. Um, at all. And even if it wasn't, um, again, this document does not um, bar, you know, these databases to be from being public facing. I mean, this was a public release. That's what this document was for. And that's what happened here. So just to make you all clear on that, there have been some other people who have piped in a bit, so like I said, Leslie Kane has uh, she actually posted my story, which was a follow up to uh, you know George Knapp's story, which kind of clarified some of these questions about these details. Leslie Kane wrote uh, when she posted my story. For those following what I believe to be unnecessary controversy about the source of the DoD videos, if we at the Times did not have this document from a reliable source, we would not have stated that the videos were from the DoD. She even went further to make a comment later on, Thanks to Alejandro and Nick Pope. And thanks for all the comments. Nick Pope had jumped in and said, you know, he, he could verify the New York Times you know, really scrutinizes if information before it comes out. So it's got to be legit. Um, so she goes on to say, Nick makes a strong point about the rigor of the New York Times. We at the Times received the DD Forum 1910, which clears the three videos for public release in late 2017 with no redactions. This was one of many documents that Ralph and I brought to our initial meeting with Mark Mazzetti at the New York Times. We could never have published the videos otherwise. The document was provided confidentially from a reliable source and was without question legitimate. It and other documents and interviews must remain confidential, as requested by our sources. No need for all the wheels that have been spinning questions, uh, questioning A Tip and our story. The Times has the highest bar of any media. In the story, we clearly described the purpose of A Tip and its focus, and so did Senator Reid. And some people even seem to question that. We also knew that the program was ongoing despite what the DOD told us, and it is not surprising to me that ATIP materials are not surfacing through FOIA requests. The program was too obscure, with only a handful of people even aware of it, buried along with hundreds of other such programs in the massive Pentagon system. I learned from my FOIA lawsuit against NASA, which was settled in my favor in federal court and lasted years, how hard it can be to get access to documents through FOIA. We got nothing, but this did not for one instant lead me to doubt the veracity of the Kecksburg case. And of course, it was a Kecksburg case that she had sued NASA over to get documents. And she didn't get any documents. They essentially said they lost them. And she even got to go to the facilities where they were like, you know, come see for yourself. And sure enough, the documents were not there. So, you know, now you have it from multiple sources, not just me, you know, uh, really, even though the DOD is kind of essentially trying to spin this, uh, these are definitely... You know, uh, as George Knapp here says, George Knapp says, the request specifies the three videos Go Fast, Gimbal, and Flare, which was the original name of the Tic Tac encounter. Um, personal information was redacted, but the document shows authorization for release was granted on August 24th, 2017. The I-Team I-Team also acquired the Department of Defense directive, which spells out how the release procedure works. The forum shows the videos were released by the book. So i love for all of you to go to these stories, read all this information yourself, and determine for yourselves, uh, you know, all of this. But it's pretty simply laid out there. Um, And again, you know, this is not even something that mainstream media is really questioning. It's mostly what I called us UFO nerds who get into these sort of details. But it's all resolved at this point in most people's minds that the dod did release these so there you have that story uh the other big story is out there is the navy no release of information to general public expected this is from the washington post and a lot of people have written about this and essentially the navy had said that they're going to write up these ufo guidelines Well, the Washington Post went back to them to follow up on the story and said, "Okay, we're ready. What are these guidelines? And, you know, what are you going to tell the public and all of this sort of thing? And they said, well, we're not going to tell you the guidelines. We've already released them and we're not going to give you any information about UFO encounters. So there's this huge story out there that nobody's going to receive information about the UFOs. The Navy's not going to share information. And so a lot of us were pretty bummed thinking, oh, great, that kind of sucks. But At least we know the program exists, so hopefully we'll be able to go query information. I also personally found it kind of odd. If they were going to start these UFO reporting procedures, why even tell the public about it? Why not just kind of roll it out secretly and uh, not get the public excited? Well, Lou Elizondo has given us a little information on that. So I talked to Lou about this, and he said... That, you know, uh, like Tom DeLonge has said, and actually one thing I forgot to mention is in that recent George Knapp story, there's also a commentary that was included in there from Chris Mellon, another member of To The Stars. Uh, They both have explained how To The Stars was integral to getting the Navy to do this, to take this step. So Lou wanted to clarify, hey, that's not entirely accurate what the Navy's saying. In a way it is. He said their raw data is going to be classified. That will not be shared. However, he says they will be providing information to Congress and to uh, their superiors. That information will be taken and it will be prepared for public release. Uh, he made it similar. He said it's similar to nukes in North Korea. They don't share all the details about everything they know and the information they've gathered about the nukes uh, in North Korea, but they do give us some information about the nukes, where they are. Uh, they do prepare some of that information for public release. He says the same thing will be happening with these U- Navy UFO findings, they will be prepared for public release. So we'll ask Lou more about that and how he knows so much about that uh, on the show when he's on. So, yeah, so there is some hope there. So don't worry, folks. And that's another exclusive that you'll get here on Open Mind UFO Radio. Because I've only shared that on social media. I need to really write a story about that. But let's see what else we got. Uh, mostly, we've got a lot of stories about that. We've got Bloomberg writing about uh, the uh, Navy and the UFOs. We've got uh, a lot of different places writing about that. Wow, we're really running out of time for the news. Um, some other editorials. This is a good one on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. New Navy guidelines could remove stigma for pilots essentially this is a guy making the argument there's no reason that a navy pilot should be worried about being ridiculed when you know they're encountering something they cannot identify that pilot should be able to focus completely on observing this object you know doing whatever it takes to deal with the threat that this object may or may not pose and then be uh, completely clear of any fear when reporting the information about this object to superiors or up the chain, you know, because this is valuable information. This could be foreign technology. This, these are important uh intelligence-gathering moments that nothing should get in the way. So it's it's really well-written. Um, that's kind of fun. We have so much mainstream coming into and writing supportive pieces about UFOs. Uh, WTIP has this, uh, they're a news organization that sought out this UFO witness, and they have a radio show that we posted there. There's a story from the Star 2, it's called. Uh, this is a Florida-area UFO kind of uh, group. It's a MUFON that they reviewed and they interviewed uh, Robert Powell from the Scientific Coalition for Ufology to talk about kind of this serious phase that uh, UFOs is going, are going through, even with some of the fringe ideas out there. So we're having a lot of articles along those lines. Also, I did in the UFO news links include one UK tabloid. As you all know, I try to stick away from those and they're really getting some crazy stories out there. But this one's just kind of interesting. It says Area 51 bombshell. Good papers prove FBI rated property looking for stolen substance. This is the Bob Lazar story I told you about last week. So really, again, it's not something that really got picked up by the media because it's kind of UFO nerdy. It's down into the details. But this is related to last week where we found out that uh, Bob Lazar's house was raided because they were looking for a drug that was used to kill someone. Now, um, Bob Lazar was not arrested. It does not appear he uh, had anything to do with what they were looking for. But uh, that's really what the root of that is. that raid was, according to law enforcement. So that's the news for the week. We're going to get into uh, some more really important information regarding the timeline of how ATIP, ASAP, how this all happened. And where does my information come? It comes from the sources. It comes from interviews. It comes from um, the sources. So I'll go over all of my sources as we go through this. Go get your notepads. Go get your pens and or pencils and your highlighters because you're going to want to take notes here, people. But we'll be right back after this short break. You're listening to Open Mind GFO Radio. Welcome back to Open Mind GFO Radio. I am your host, Alejandro Rojas, and we are going to be talking about ASEP, ATip, and TTSA. What the heck is all that alphabet soup? Well, ASEP is the Advanced Aerospace Weapon System Application Program. ATip is the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. These are the Pentagon programs that investigated UFOs and the paranormal. Bum, bum, bum. TSA, that is To The Stars Academy, that was created by Tom DeLonge, and uh, the guy who ran the Pentagon program, ATIP, Luis Elizondo, now works with To The Stars. To The Stars also includes very, very high-level officials who have retired but have an interest in UFOs and are pursuing that interest with Lou and Tom and, and others. That includes Chris Mellon. Uh, he's a very important individual. He uh, used to work for, uh, he was the Deputy deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence in the Clinton and Bush administrations. Um, he's worked at Capitol Hill for many years. He was a Minority Staff Director of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. Uh, a number of things. So essentially, he's been working in Washington in the intelligence field at these very high-level positions for a very long time. And now he's working for a UFO company. Of course, there's Luis Elizondo, who we've talked about. Another one of these individuals is Steve Justice. Now, Steve Justice worked for Lockheed Martin. He was a program director for Advanced Systems for Lockheed Martin. Uh, This is a group that's better known as Skunk Works. So this is actually the group that uh, was tasked with finding... Area 51 and building it so they could build all of these secret projects for the CIA, including things like the U-2, the SR-71, uh, these very, very, very high-tech aircraft. And now this guy who used to work for this program is working for two The Stars looking for UFOs. Another one of these individuals, and this is the one that we're going to get into first, is Dr. Hal Putoff. He is the co founder and vice president of science and technology for To the Stars. He also um, is the president and CFO, CEO of Earth Tech International. We'll get more into Dr. Putoff, but these are some of the important people running To the Stars with Tom DeLong. And this is kind of the ongoing program that's going on. And they're the ones that are going to have this History Channel show coming up uh, May 31st, so I've been able to share some information on that. In fact, I can share. I saw the first episode, and I know I'm kind of a Pollyanna that everything's great, everything's wonderful, happy, happy, joy, joy kind of guy, and so it may not be a surprise to you when I say that I thought the show was very, very good, but it was good. I mean, I started watching it, and I was getting excited because they were presenting such credible information. I mean, all these people that I just listed pretty much are involved with the show. Their their credibility uh, levels are extremely high, and they are introduced, their backgrounds are talked about, and they're talking about and investigating UFOs in this History Channel show. It's extremely exciting, and uh, I got confirmation when my girlfriend said Karen Brard, the owner of the UFO Congress, was like, this is really good. I'm really excited. And I was like, yes, that's what I'm thinking, too. She went so far as to say it was the best UFO show she's ever seen. So I don't know. I liked it pretty good, too. I probably would say that. I'm being hesitant of being too biased pro this show uh, because it was so good and I did like it so much. But I really feel that people are going to be really excited when they do get a chance to watch that. So the show is really good. But those are kind of the guys in the background. So let's get into the timeline. How did this all come about? And we're going to take this in two different or a few different chunks. I'm going to chunk it out to make it uh, a little bit more um, palatable. So we can understand what's going on here. And the other thing that I think is really important is, like I discussed with Eric Davis, when Eric Davis said, it's ridiculous that these guys are trying to make this into some grand conspiracy, you know, that there's a puppet master, they're controlling what we're doing. That's insane. I mean, we're doing this of our own volition. And uh, Leslie Kane has told us the same thing. Lewis told us the same thing. And these are people that have, of their own volition, made these things happen. And, you know, by trying to say that there's some sort of puppet masters takes away from the hard work that these people have done, have put forth. And uh, at least if there is some sort of puppet master out there, they do not seem to be aware of it. And I think the proof of all of that also lies in the history. Because let's take Hal Off, for instance. Hal Pudaf is a physicist, he's a scientist, he's been working with the government and on government contracts for a very long time. And he has been working in particular on paranormal topics that he has been fighting to bring credibility to for literally decades. He started doing this before I was even born. And uh, in particular, the program that he was involved with was remote viewing. All the way back in 1972, Hal Putoff, along with others, started working with the CIA and the Stanford Research Institute in researching um, remote viewing. What is remote viewing? For those of you who don't know, it's essentially ESP. It's a psychic ability of viewing something at a distance. So the procedures vary, but the procedure generally is, it's kind of a double-blind study. So essentially, you have a uh, guy who is conducting this, uh, this remote viewing, and then you have a remote viewer. So the remote viewer, let's say, is in some room. This guy who's conducting it is handed an envelope, maybe with a number on it. This person does not know what's in this envelope, and then they go to the remote view and say, okay, remote view target 65321, and the remote viewer then does their procedure where, uh, and there's different ways they can do it to write down information to try to figure out um, what this thing is. And then they'll look at that information the remote viewer has collected to find out whether they're accurate or not. Now, the best remote viewers, they've said, were 20% right. And uh, you may think, well, 20%, what can you do that? If you have somebody remote view, you know, where's grandma? The chances are you're not going to find grandma. But the way it was put to me in an interview on this you know, podcast by uh, one of the main remote viewers, Joe McMonigle, was that, hey, 20% is better than nothing. If you've got a cold case, you know, you've got no leads, you don't know who murdered Jane Doe, you can try the remote viewers, and at least you have a 20% chance that you're going to get some information that's going to help you find someone, whereas it's better than 0%. And their program supposedly worked. There's a really good documentary out called Third Eye uh, Spies, And it reviews this whole program, and, you know, Joe McMonigle in particular talks about how, hey, if this didn't work, why was this program running for a couple decades? During several administrations, this program kept going, and we were busy. We had law enforcement agencies from all over the place coming to us to remote view stuff, and we did solve cases. You've got to see this this documentary. But essentially, how put of Russell Targ was another scientist involved. There were other scientists, uh, Kit Green, I believe, was involved, another guy who is a medical scientist who works with um with uh, with the CIA. Uh, you know, some of these others were involved. Now This program eventually ended in 1995. There were various remote viewing programs. The one in particular that the CIA had was called Stargate. It went through different names, but that was its last name. But why did it end? Allegedly, it ended because religious people in the government, these religious cabals, we just use that word because they are fairly organized, Felt that this was demonic, that this ESP stuff should not be done. The government should not be involved with any of this stuff because it's demonic and it closed down. So, this story is important for a couple reasons. Uh, the religious aspect we'll get into and you've heard you know me talk about this before but we'll talk about this some more in a minute especially when we talk about a tip but the other side of this story and why it's important is it shows that this gentleman Hal putoff he's been working in the science field in these paranormal topics for decades before I was born trying to get the uh, the government to pay attention to paranormal phenomena that some of it's legit and it can be used. Um, and also, uh, you know, making it publicly more palatable for people to see that there is something serious to this. And some of you have probably seen remote viewing stories. So they are getting out there that, hey, wow, this remote viewing thing is something that really happened. off is still doing that. And uh, essentially, when he moved forward or some of what uh, he was able to do uh, after remote viewing was work with Bob Bigelow. So this is the next section of the story we're going to talk about, and it's another historical piece, which is Bob Bigelow. So who is this guy? Bob Bigelow is a a real estate guy. He made billions of dollars in real estate in Las Vegas, but he's also been into the paranormal, mostly because of a sighting that his uh, grandparents had had. So when he had amassed enough money, he decided, you know what, I'm going to spend some of my billions of dollars on researching the paranormal to find out what the heck's going on. In 1995, the same year that the Stargate program ended, he created a group called NIDS, the National Institute for Discovery Sciences. He gathered a bunch of scientists, and essentially what they wanted to do was research the paranormal. He actually funded a lot of projects out there, and they did quite a few investigations, and they created papers related to these investigations. These days, these papers are a bit hard to find, actually. Uh, One of those was on black triangles. What was interesting there is that they looked in the government to find out if there were any Black triangle aircraft, especially that had propulsion systems that were um, exotic, so something that we might not recognize, to see are they ours or are they someone else's? NIDS actually determined we do not have black triangles that maneuver in the way these witnesses are talking about. This phenomena is something that is not human related. Um, So that's the sort of reports that they were doing. In 1996, um, is when the Skinwalker Ranch started to become a big deal. So Skinwalker Ranch, of course, is where uh, all this paranormal stuff was happening. We know about Skinwalker Ranch because of George Knapp. He wrote an article or a book with Comb Kellehar, which was Ned's lead scientist. In 2005, they wrote this book about Skinwalker. So we heard about all this weird stuff. Well, I'm not sure when. I've got to get this piece in here, actually. Sometime between 1996 and 1999, uh, Bigelow actually bought Skinwalker Ranch and put a bunch of scientists there to start to research it. Um, That's when George Knapp said he first visited. Skinwalker Ranch. All kinds of weird stuff happened there. Of course, we talked to Jeremy uh, Corbell about that with his Skinwalker movie. Definitely go see his movie and read the book if you're interested in the Skinwalker. Lots of crazy stuff happened there. And we also talked to Eric Davis last week. So Eric Davis talked to us about some of the weird stuff that he experienced as one of those NID scientists at Skinwalker with us last week. Um, he's also the guy who saw, and we kind of alluded to this, but I've already talked about it and that's why I didn't have him describe it because we were running out of time and I had lots of questions for him, but he's one of the guys who like two in the morning, uh, they're looking down in the valley and they see this orb and this orb keeps growing. And then they see in this orb, what looks like a, a, bipedal, um, you know, entity, some like creature that crawls out of this orb and then the orb disappears So, uh, you know, that was something he witnessed. That's one of the weird, weird things that happened there. So things began to slow down, actually, at the ranch, paranormal-wise, in the early 2000s. This is a lot of this we heard from George Knapp himself when he was on this show just a few months ago. When things slowed down, then George Knapp was allowed to write uh, some Skinwalker articles, And then also write the Skinwalker book, and that book came out in 2005. So, uh, you know, later on, Robert Bigelow was interviewed by 60 Minutes, and he talked about how he knows there are aliens here. He knows that UFOs, uh, some of them are are aircraft, you know, or spacecraft that are piloted by aliens, Uh, that aliens are here, and he, he knows this through research, and he spent so much money on it, and he's certain of that. Uh, he's certainly more certain of all that than I am, but, uh, he is, you know, this is a guy, in other words, who has a lot of money, who through his own will decided to make this happen. Now, more lately, he's been more, a bit more hesitant about getting involved with the the paranormal, at least in a public way, because he started this, uh, company called Bigelow Aerospace back in, uh you know what, I need to get that date. Uh, let me look that up for you all. But he started Bigelow Aerospace somewhere in the early 2000s. But this, of course, was a company uh, to create aerospace products. He wanted to get into the space industry, just like Elon Musk and, and Bezos and all of these others. So he worked with NASA and NASA was shuttling this program. They were getting rid of this program where they had these inflatable habitats. So Robert Bigelow bought that project and then started to develop this. Um, This is around 2002 when Bigelow uh, got involved. So he bought this program from NASA and then he started building these habitats and he's been very successful with it. There's one of these habitats on the International Space Station right now. There are two others that are just floating around in orbit by themselves. And what he hopes to do is to sell these platforms to NASA or to private companies or even individuals so anybody can have a platform in space. These platforms also work for uh, bases. You could create a moon base, you can create a, uh, you can do all kinds of things with them. And because they're inflatable, you know they they're compact, so they can fit in the nose cone of a rocket and go up there and be dropped off, and then they inflate. So uh, and the skin is actually tougher than the the rigid material that they currently use, like for the International Space Station. You'd be safer in one of Bigelow's habitats than the rest of the space station because uh, the material's stronger and it uh, it's less penetrable than uh, the rest of the structure. So that's what Bigelow is up to since the early 2000s. So that's kind of, you know, I, the reason I think all of this history is so important, and I think many, many do not realize this, especially in the mainstream, that these guys have an entire history, a whole lifetime of researching the paranormal and working and, in some cases, spending millions and millions of dollars to scientifically investigate the paranormal, and to make it more credible uh, for the general public. This is all what happened before any of this ATIP stuff. But now let's move on to Tom DeLong. And the reason I'm moving to Tom DeLong next is that publicly, this is what we began to hear next. This is how the public began to hear about more going on behind the scenes, and we heard it from a very unlikely source Tom Delong so let's get back up to here so now we're moving into the future so Tom Delong, one of the first stories that he uh, came out with regarding his interest in UFOs was with the Rolling Stone in Let's see, when was his story? This was in uh, April of 2016. He did an interview about leaving Blink-182. That's the band that Tom DeLonge used to be the front man for. A very popular band to this day, even without him. He talked to Rolling Stone about leaving Blink-182 for UFOs. He said that he was working with a lot of people behind the scenes, including government insiders, ...to release this incredible information about UFOs. Of course, people were kind of like, yeah, right, you know, who's going to believe this goofy rock star? And he did share some pretty odd opinions on UFOs. At least odd to me. Um, Well, odd in that uh, they seem like unlikely stories... Uh, there are stories, if you go to a UFO conference or if you listen to, you know, a lot of the UFO mythology out there, they're not that different from those ideas that, you know, UFOs are here, there could be a s- secret space program and, and battles with aliens and some kind of out there ideas. But a lot of people, you know, I used to entertain more of those ideas before I did more research into all of this, and now I'm more skeptical of that those ideas. But you know, that was the kind of things he was talking about at times. So people weren't taking him that seriously. In July of 2016, Tom DeLong then posted something on Instagram. It was a picture of the gates at Area 51, and he said he met with a multi star general who gave him who helped him out on his quest to getting UFO information. He said that this general essentially told him that he'll help him with people, getting him in touch with people. And this general also alluded to that, you know, this is a real thing and that he had seen an alien body. So it got a little more interesting there. But still, I think people were like, well, how can you trust this guy? Um how we, can you trust this this rock star that any of this is true? He could be making it up, and it just doesn't ring credible. Why would these people these insiders work with this goofy rock star guy? you know um that's what people had felt and uh and luckily at this time, I had already known Tom Delong. Uh, he worked with Open Minds and reposted some of our stories, including mine, on his website, Strange Times. So we at least were conversing. Uh, some of my colleagues, had uh, um, Jason and Maureen, had done an interview with him. And that, so we were familiar with him and his work. At this time, so we knew he was into this stuff. So at least I was uh, actually a little less skeptical than the rest of the world because I at least I knew that he was serious about all this stuff, and I didn't think that he would lie to anybody, and especially us. So uh, that was not his mo. You know, he he would share information even if it felt dubious. It was something that he believed to be the case. Surprisingly to everyone, including us, or at least including me, in July 2016, we began to find out that Tom DeLonge was telling the truth. Because at this time, this is when John Podesta's emails began to come out in WikiLeaks. John Podesta was the uh, manager of Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. And we hear about all the time right now about the Russians... Uh, hacking and sharing information that hurt Hillary Clinton's campaign. And of course, the Mueller report, all of this is all about that. Well, in those emails that were leaked were a number of emails that were between Tom DeLong and John Podesta. So going back, some of the earliest ones were from 19 or from 2015. And for instance, there were emails. Uh, one of those was real I felt was really interesting, and this is one that I think is very revealing. A lot of people have asked why Tom Delong? Here's what I think is the answer to that question in one of these emails, one from september twenty fifteen this is from Delong to Podesta, he wrote the general's thoughts, and this apparently uh is regarding a memo that the White House would release about UFOs. That's the assumption. And let me read this and let me see. You guys could could see what you think. Uh, But that seems to be the case. General Thoughts, it says. I was thinking a bit more about a White House memo or what a White House memo should say. Something like these points to all federal agencies. In light of the president's policy on STEM quote, are in parentheses, citing official policy encouraging the study of science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, some background on your project. The administration encourages a favorable public affairs position on. Uh, By all agencies, appointees uh, from NASA to lead. This kind of public outreach is in NASA's job jar. And if no agency is appointed, all will simple note and file the memo and likely do nothing. And then finally, to coordinate with DOD, DNI, and NOAA, the other major space actors, putting a bit of light on them. So this is really interesting. This seems to, to indicate that... Tom DeLong was working with John Podesta on a program, some sort of White House program regarding UFOs, and that you know they were going to release a memo, essentially asking everybody to take more of a positive look into the matter. I think that this note is actually really even more important than that too. I think this answers the question why Tom DeLong. Everybody asks why Tom DeLong. Why are they going to work with Tom DeLong? STEM. ...is a big deal across the board, this whole science, technology, engineering, and math initiative, and to get kids interested in science. Scientists, I know from interviewing scientists and going to some of these events for the press with science... They're very concerned that science is not being taken seriously these days. Uh, One of the main concerns is climate change. When you have, you know, the vast majority, 99% of the scientists saying climate change is an issue. Humankind has had a problem uh, creating all of this. And then when you have uh, the politicians and others doubting That information, it's a huge red flag. It's a very big deal for scientists right now because they're thinking, wow, the public can be turned against us or to think that our information is not legit, which is scary because, of course, they are very careful at being rigorous and being unbiased in a presentation of information. And that is very important, despite what you may think. This is something that's very important in the scientific community. So there's lots of thought. How do we get kids into science? How do we make sure, you know, science is something that people see as important and that people get to involve themselves? You get into science. If you doubt our findings and in a scientific manner, do the research, write a paper, show us wrong. And that. Uh, So STEM is like a really big deal. If any of you who work in a science company probably know this because you're hearing about STEM initiatives over and over again. I really think that it seems as though some of the inside guys thought, hey, this is a way Tom's interested in UFOs. Why don't we use the whole UFO topic to get people more interested in science? Tom has a huge audience of kids, younger people. This is a way we get, To the younger people, which we've been trying to do for so long. To me, this is what makes the most sense. This is why they were talking to Tom. They saw Tom as their uh, entrance, as their hook into the younger people out there to get them to pay attention. That's my guess. But anyway... Uh, to go further into that. Actually let's take a break right now. It's about time to take a break. Right after the break, we'll get more into these wiki leaks and what these wiki leaks said regarding Tom DeLong uh, when we get back. So stay tuned to Open Mind UFO Radio. <music> Welcome back to Open Mind GFO Radio. I am your host, Alejandro Rojas. So let's get into the last section of this. We were talking about Tom DeLong and uh, these WikiLeaks that came out that showed he really was working with the military. I told you just now about the WikiLeaks that talked about the STEM initiatives and how that was an important aspect to all of this, and that's why I think that they took Tom so seriously and why they wanted to work with him. Um, how seriously? Well, we found out in these WikiLeaks that not only was uh, you know Tom DeLong talking with John Podesta, uh, we also found out you know uh, that he was working with another person named uh, McCasland. Um, this is a General who was in command of the U.S. Air Force's research laboratories at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. We also found that John Podesta created a meeting with Tom DeLong, McCaslin, and also a retired Major General, Michael Carey. He worked with the U.S. Air Force. He was the special assistant to the commander of Air Force Space Command at Peterson Air Force Base. Peterson is in California, or I'm sorry, Colorado, in Colorado Springs. Actually, it's at the base of NORAD. So NORAD was that, you know, is that big mountain that we have a base under it. Um, Also, there was an executive vice president and general manager of the advanced development programs at Lockheed Martin. This is Skunk Works. So this is a different Skunk Works guy. Uh, his name is Robert Weiss, who also was in this meeting. So interesting that it's different than Steve Justice, a different person that is with Two of the Stars. Anyway, we don't know what they talked about in that meeting. That meeting took place on January 25th, 2016, but we know the meeting took place. Um also there was another email on January 25th where it appears that Tom DeLonge emailed uh John Podesta to say that hey General McCaslin sounded like he was a skeptic in that meeting but he's not a skeptic he's told me a lot of different stuff and we've worked together over uh a period of time so he just wanted to let John Podesta know that McCaslin is not as skeptical as he seemed in whatever meeting That they had. So all of this was going on even before he talked to the Rolling Stone. So he was absolutely telling the truth when he said he was having these very high level meetings um, behind the scenes with high level people in the government. He really was. And uh, for that, to the uh, frustration. ...of many people in the field Uh, in February of 2017. We then gave at the International UFO Congress, uh, which was owned by Open Minds at the time. And I certainly take credit for having a lot to do with this decision... Even though people got so upset with me, even some of my friends. We gave him the UFO Researcher of the Year Award. Now, he did say he was working on bigger and better things that we would find out about soon. We didn't know what the heck he was talking about. But he said when he accepted the award, you know, look for bigger and better things that are coming out. I have a big announcement that's going to be coming out in the next few months. We gave him the award, of course, because he was do- making all these connections at behind the scenes. He was bringing the UFO topic and making some major moves with these. I mean, Wright-Patterson is where Blue Book was, and he's working with a guy who runs the labs at Wright-Patterson, Air Force Space Command, enough said, uh, Lockheed Skunk Works, the Area 51 people. I mean, for God's sakes, he was getting to the top of the top. So that's why we gave him the award, and it turns out we were right to do so because major stuff ended up happening. So, what happened next? What happened next, as far as what we knew, is that we waited and waited and waited, and Tom Blanc kept saying, he was even calling me at times saying, oh, the news is going to come out soon. The news is going to come out soon. We'll go over in just a second why he had to wait so long. But yeah, we kept waiting. What's this news, Tom? Come on, give us the news. So, everybody Everybody's waiting. People kind of almost gave up. People are telling me, wow, see, you shouldn't have given him this award. Finally, October comes around and Tom calls me and he's super excited. The news is going to about to be released. Here's what it is. And he sent me this video and asked me what I thought. And it was this video that was revealing to the Stars Academy. Uh, The organization that was starting. And I thought it was great. I was my jaw dropped because I didn't know these names. These were a whole different group of credible people that he's working with with to the stars than uh, his previous meeting with John Podesta. So this is even more insiders that he's working with so closely that they're going to join this organization and create this organization to look for UFOs with them. So it was shocking news. Um, The next day on the 4th, it was announced um, Leslie Kane uh, write a... uh, Well, no, I'm sorry. It was on uh, the 10th that Leslie Kane wrote an article about To The Stars for the Huffington Post, giving a lot of details. And then the official press conference to announce To The Stars was October 11. So I had Leslie Kane on, I think, in October uh, soon after the announcement, to talk about her article and the organization, and one of the things that we were talking about was what's up with this guy named Lou Elizondo, who's saying he was a, a intelligent senior intelligence official and had been working about with, with the Pentagon on UFOs since two thousand eight or something like that. We are like, WTF? This was extremely shocking to us. Leslie and I kind of felt like, "Wow, it seems like are we the only ones who really care about this? Nobody's really mentioning it. Most people couldn't get over that it was Tom DeLonge, and they were upset that you know this goofy Tom DeLonge guy—yet their words, not mine—is involved with this stuff, so we can't take it seriously. Yet there's this guy who said he worked at the Pentagon." working for many years investigating UFOs officially. This is, of course, shocking because we haven't heard for decades that the government is taking UFOs seriously or working on it. People like John Greenwald have got FOIA documents and others, you know, Paul Dean, Keith Basterfield, some of these guys out there. Oh, and let alone the old schoolers like, you know, Stan Friedman, um, Barry Greenwood, and some of these other document uh, specialist guys who have gotten these documents to show that there have been some UFO cases these guys have taken seriously. But every time you ask, they send us to the Air Force UFO fact sheet that says we haven't been interested in UFOs since 1969. And then here we hear, yes, you know, they have had this program. Um, You know, at this time, of course, it's the holidays and everything and everybody's thinking, including me, I'm thinking, how do I get to this guy? How do I interview this guy? Uh, And during all of this, December 16, 2017, the day of infamy uh, happened and Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal were able to, along with another New York Times writer, and that's Sarah Baum. So sorry, I forgot her name. I'll bring that up. But uh, they all write this article about Lou Elizondo and A-Tip. And of course, that is what makes huge news and everything starts happening uh, from that point on. It was Helen Cooper was the other uh, person who wrote that article. But again, then in January, I interview Leslie again, and I'm like, what? How did you do this? And essentially, she took it upon herself. She, uh, Ralph Blumenthal is a writer, writes for the New York Times. He, he's into UFOs as well. And they were like, you know what? We need to highlight this. This is a big, big deal. We need to make this happen. So uh, as I read in that thing earlier in the show, you know, she and Ralph went to the New York Times and said, look, this is a big deal. We need to write an article. They said, sure, but we're going to have to scrutinize the heck out of it. And we're going to verify every little piece of minute information that you give us. So it took them a long time to write it, but they got it together. The story came out in December and uh, the rest is history. Really, really important stuff. So that's how this all came about as far as getting released but you know, I, I think what we need to remember here, uh, and I'm going to reiterate this again the history is really important. Hal Putoff, Eric Davis, Robert Bigelow, Colm Kellahar, George Knapp, these are all people, and John Alexander, uh, these are all people who were involved with all of this for decades. Tom DeLong, uh, number one on top of that list, uh, he not involved for decades, but for a period of time. They took it upon themselves to go discover this information, to work on this information, to bring credibility to this information, and to get this information to the public. It was years and years and years in the making, and nowhere in any of this at least have I seen or been able to discover any hidden hand that has manipulated this whole process. And I've asked those involved, Is there some sort of, you know, um, something at work here, this grand plan of soft disclosure, slowly telling people about the UFO situation so we can release more? And at least none of these people uh, have said that they they have any inkling of anything going on like that. And, of course, people are going to say, well, of course they don't. They're part of the conspiracy. But these are many different people. These are not necessarily people who are close or who work together a ton. Some of these people do work together a lot, but some don't. They're all different people coming at this independently on their own. And I think that's really, really important to keep in mind. Because again, when you make, and I really subscribe to this idea, extraordinary claims uh, require extraordinary evidence. If you're going to claim that something else is going on, you need proof. You need to show that somehow, and uh, trust me, I am looking for any improprietary you know, discrepancy I can see. And I challenge, I, I think all of you know that in my interviews. Um, I even challenged Eric Davis on a couple of things last week. I will challenge my uh, the people I interview if I find information that is questionable uh, so we can get answers. But I'm going to get into that now. So I'm going to get into ATAP and OSAP and how that aim- all came together about and when because there's been a lot of questions around that you know when did this happen when did that happen and why are people saying things differently and are they lying you know is are people lying because uh, i can't understand how this happened and that happened what happened and it's it's understandable that there would be questions because it is all very very confusing however uh, again at least i haven't found anything to raise any major red flags certainly there are questions But anything that indicates any sort of illegal activity or uh, any sort of major manipulation, Uh, there have been people saying the wrong things, I think, accidentally, but they're uh, related to tiny, what I feel are are not that big of a deal. Um, And, you know, if you hear something differently, let me know. And many of you do. Uh, And then we discuss that or I go seek answers on that information. But let's go over some of that. So when did ASAP, what's going on with all of this, despite what the New York Times said? And the New York Times, if you review it and you know the whole story, they were actually very accurate. They just didn't have the full story and a lot more has become uh, public since then. So let's pick up. How the heck did this ASAP thing all happen? Well, we talked about how... George Knapp and Colm Kellehar in 2005 released that book, Hunt for the Skinwalker. It was a big deal. Uh, it did very well. Everybody who read it loves it. I think anybody who's read it uh, and is into this stuff, it's one of the, their top you know books in their collection that they refer to. An amazing book, I think, just that, uh, you know, these scientists go to try to to figure out this phenomena, and they're tricked. And they say that they were outsmarted at every term. John Alexander says whatever was happening there is a precognitive, uh, sentient phenomena. In other words, that it was precognitive in that it seemed to know what they were going to do before they were doing it. It was cognitive or um, sentient in that it seemed to have an intelligence behind it. Uh, and so that's why he uses that term. And, and others are similar. We asked Eric Davis about that last week, and he said, yeah, it did seem to outsmart us. We couldn't figure out what was going on. So everybody, Conkell Kellehar I have asked about this, they all pretty much say the same thing. Um, I think George Knapp, when we interviewed him. So, Skinwalker was a big deal. Well, it turns out a guy at the DIA heard about Skinwalker, and even the New York Times mentioned this, and that the DIA guy said, hey, can I go meet you at uh, the Skinwalker Ranch? Now, the New York Times just referred to it as kind of a living laboratory for Bigelow and his research into the paranormal. They didn't get into the more detail like we have, but... Um, And actually, that played a bigger role than the New York Times apparently even knew. And I'll get into that as well. Because when this DIA guy, and this wasn't in the Times, went to Skinwalker Ranch, there hadn't been paranormal activity in the ranch for a long period of time. But immediately, in 2007... When this DIA guy visited the ranch, he had a paranormal experience that was supposedly a really big deal. It was very personal to him. He felt that, you know, I guess that, uh, and this is according to George Knapp in the interview, that somehow this phenomena knew him. It was very like personal, personal experience. So it had a really big impact on him. Uh, although the uh, the DIA, what the New York Times says is after the DIA met with Bigelow, that's when they approached Harry Reid to create this uh, program to investigate UFOs. But actually, and we learned this from George Knapp and others, but George Knapp was our our main source for this uh, on our show, that George Knapp, and I've actually gotten this from Lou Elizondo as well, that this DIA guy wanted to create a program to investigate Skinwalker Ranch and all the paranormal stuff that was going on there, including UFOs. Harry Reid said, great idea. He goes to uh, Republican Ted Stevens and Democrat uh, Daniel Inouye from Hawaii. Uh, Ted Stevens is from Alaska. They got together and said, yes, let's do this. They were able to get the funding. And in 2007, the program began. Now, here's where there is uh, a bit of discrepancy. People have said, uh, well, not people have said, we've learned through George Knapp that the program that began in 2007 was called OSAP, the Advanced Aerospace Weapons System Application Program. And that program was to research all the paranormal phenomena at Skinwalker Ranch, not just UFOs. So the question arises, why didn't the New York Times tell us about OSAP? They only talked about ATIP and UFO investigation. Well, here's the answer to that question. Uh, Despite all the speculation and conspiracy theories out there, here's the answer I got from going to the source. And like I said, this is one of those frustrating situations where nobody asked Leslie this, except for me. Leslie essentially told me, in fact, let me get... um, her direct quote for you so I could say this, you know, directly from her. Here is her quote. At the time, our focus was ATIP. This was the name of the documents that we had, and this is what Lou Elizondo had talked to us about in interviews with him, as did others associated in the program. So she's saying that we didn't know about a tip essentially. They told us that uh, or OSAP. They told us the program was ATIP and it was about UFOs, and so that's what we wrote about. So the question then is why didn't anybody tell them about OSAP? So I went to Lou Elizondo and I, I asked him about some of the details. So what's going on here? Why didn't the New York Times know about OSAP? What he told me is essentially. And I wrote this in a story called uh, From ASAP to ATIP, but he said, and and I got to say in my article, ASAP to ATIP, which clarifies all of this, uh, I double-checked with Lou that it was 100% accurate, everything that I put there. But essentially, he said, well, New York Times didn't ask me about ASAP. They asked me about ATIP. I was involved with the A-tip side of things and the UFO side of things. So they didn't ask about ASAP. I didn't feel it was my place to say anything about ASAP because I didn't run that program, so I didn't tell them anything about ASAP. So it's that simple. That's why the New York Times wrote about A-tip. So then the question is, well, what's the difference between ASAP and a And here's what is important to understand. ASAP was a paranormal project. It was about all the paranormal. A tip was about UFOs. And that's the simple way to put it. OSAP and tip. There's OSAP was a paranormal, ATIP was UFOs. Some people ask, well, why has Eric Davis like in our last week when I asked him about tip and he said I don't even know where they came in. and Harry Reid pulled that out straight out of nowhere. Um, others have made some comments I think put off even where they weren't sure about how this had all happened that's because there was a lot going on behind the scenes that people weren't aware of that only a- the administrators of the program like Lou Elizondo and his superior or Harry Reed were aware of so not everybody knew so how put off and Eric Davis they were contracted by ASAP ASap. When it was created, they, uh, you know, had a, a list of, of reports that they wanted, and they contracted out to get these reports. So all that, you know, Davis and off for example, who were the, the scientists creating these papers or working on organizing all that, they knew they were contracted by OSAP to do this. And that's what they were doing. You know, some of the information that we found out and, uh, you know, bringing Bigelow involved and why he's involved is that... Bigelow uh, was contracted by OSAP to do some of the information some of the uh, footwork or most of the footwork. Uh, you know this number of 222 million dollars has been batted around. That's essentially the budget that OSAP had that uh, went to Bigelow uh, to do this work to hire uh, people like Putoff and Davis uh, to do all of this. And in fact, to do this work, Bigelow created a whole program, a new department to his Bigelow Aerospace called BAS. BAS stands for Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies. And there have some, been some questions about that. Bigelow said, In order to work with OSAP, I created this, prod, this, this group called BAS, Bigelow Aerospace um, Advanced System Studies. But some people have said, Well, OSAP started in 2007, but BAS didn't start till, and, uh, you know, well, Bass, they didn't begin or, or until 2008. So how could that have happened? Uh, What was that discrepancy of a year? Well, you know, just the program has to start before they hire a contractor because the program has to start. You need to hire staff. You need the staff to figure out what they need as far as contract work, and they have to create the contract, and all this work has to be done so then they can go out and solicit a contract for a program that's existing. That's what was going on in 2007. That's why Bass didn't really start uh, and get contracted until 2008 for any of people that are curious About that piece, but uh, so anyways, the Asapta Atip. Why did that happen? Well, early on, as soon as they began, essentially, they were getting. It was the same religious cabal. It was the same people inside the government uh, that uh, had taken down the remote viewing that Halputt I've had, uh, you know, experience with. They also felt that this paranormal stuff that was going on on Skinwalker, which is scary and weird, had to have been demonic. And they were serious that they did not want the government getting involved with this demonic stuff. How do we know this? We know this from George Knapp. He told us this when we did his interview. But also, um, Luis Elizondo wrote a Medium article where he also talked about this. He said, you know, these religious people... Uh, Some of them are my friends. I think they're good people. Uh, they're, They're doing what they think is best. I just completely disagree that we should put our heads in the sand and ignore important data because we believe it's demonic. I mean, that for him makes it seem like we should even more so want to be interested in researching it so we understand any potential threats. But these guys didn't want anything to do with it. So the writing was on the wall. That OSAP was not palatable. In fact, that's the word that Lou used. It wasn't palatable palatable to the DIA or inside of the DOD. And so it was going to go away. So what they did was they created this sub-program inside of OSAP called ATIP. And tip was just going to be about UFOs and military UFO cases, and that's it. And the idea was that maybe if they started this more credible program that was just about UFOs and military UFO cases, that that would get left alone um, just in case OSAP was going to you know, not be able to go very much longer because of these attacks on the, the nature of the, what, the work that they were doing. And sure enough, they were right. Uh, it did end. Officially, they moved from OSAP to ATIP in 2009. And this is what, uh, you know, Eric Davis is talking about. Because in 2009, Harry Reid was essentially happy with the work that they were doing. And he wanted to get them uh, further access to information. So he applied for an SAP status for the group. And SAP stands for um, Special Access Program. So that way, that's essentially the black budget. This is essentially so they can start to get information from other black budget programs and be able to get more data and work on with and have access to other secret programs so they can start to get that data to do their work, that sort of thing. Uh, It got denied, but in that letter... Which George Knapp uh, and the Las Vegas now KLAS guys released, uh, Harry Reid referred to the organization as ATIP. This was the first time, according to Eric Davis, he had heard this term ATIP. So he was confused. He was like, What? I thought we were OSAP. Who's ATIP? You know, that created some, uh, some confusion. But they didn't know this whole battle was going on behind the scenes and that, uh, you know, and actually this whole plan of theirs worked. Because at this time then Tip was able to remain in existence while OSAP disappeared. So that's the difference. The big thing to keep in mind, and I've said this over and over again, and I think it's the just the best way to categorize it, OSAP was a paranormal. Tip was a sub-program in OSAP that was all UFOs. OSAP was scrutinized and essentially taken down. By these religious cabals, the, these religious people who didn't want that that program existing, and so it went away. But A Tip remained. Elizondo joined uh, A Tip when he came into ASAP in two thousand eight. It was to work on the ATIP side of things, so he, that's where he was working. So, uh, and then later on, when he took over A Tip. He actually moved it to where he worked, which was the Office of the Secretary of Defense. So uh, the program actually moved from the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, over to the OSD, the Office of the Secretary of Defense, technically. It's kind of a technical thing, but that happened in 2010 uh, when Elizondo took over the program. So there's a timeline. That's essentially what happened. Uh, A couple other things that happened during this time, interesting enough, there was the MUFON project. So I had mentioned that with Eric Davis, you know, uh, MUFON partnered with Bass back in 2009. I was actually essentially, uh, I was a a functional director. So I was in on board meetings. I was part of MUFON leadership when this all went down. I was their spokesperson, essentially. So in 2009, when this partnership happened, uh, what I didn't know at the time was that you know Bass had this partnership with the DIA, uh, which is of course extraordinary, which is very interesting. So I asked you know uh, Eric Davis, and I've asked Bass, but they haven't wanted Bigelow Aerospace, but they're they're very tight lipped. Essentially, my individual connections say they can't say anything, and uh, the I've gone to the press department, and they have not said anything either. They said they were working on getting me an answer, but they haven't, so they just don't want to say that uh, you know MUFON was funded at, under this program. I don't know why they don't want to say anything, but they really don't say anything to anybody about anything. I think they just want to keep it arm's length with all of this. So I haven't got a confirmation. Eric Davis said, I wasn't working on that problem program, but that's what I understand. And it would make sense because if bass was created for the express purpose of working with ASAP and ATIP, then it would make sense that a MUFON partnership with Bass would be part of all of that. So not that that matters really, I think, too much, because it makes sense. You're going to start looking at UFOs. Well, let's make a partnership with the people that are gathering the most UFO information and have boots on the ground investigating UFOs. So it makes sense that they would work with MUFON. That didn't work out very well. My uh, personal kind of take on all of that is that... MUFON is a, uh, you know, it's a hobby kind of thing. It is a volunteer organization. So MUFON doesn't have, you know, permanent staff that can work with Bigelow's permanent staff to, you know, interface in a way that they're used to working with third parties. It's a volunteer organization where people are doing their best when they have time. So it wasn't really as tight of a or professional as a, a relationship as, uh, either groups kind of had hoped for, although I got to say for myself and I think the rest of the board and most of the people involved at MUFON, it was very fruitful and it was very, uh, it was a great relationship, but, uh, not everybody felt that way and, and things fell apart, but, uh, it was only a pilot program at first that was to last a few months. And then it ended at the end of that pilot program because it just wasn't going to work as uh you know you can read about. So that's what had happened there. But that's the difference. That's why how Osap turned into ATIP. But another thing to remember is, you know, Elizondo was getting cases from the military, very good cases. Of course the Nimitz case was one of those. And that uh, that was his job. He did not look into UFO history. He did not look into Roswell or, you know, Bob Lazar or Dulce or any of these other stories. Rendlesham, let's say, he had not looked into any of that other stuff before. And the way he puts it, because that's what he tells us, is that he didn't want his mind to be, he didn't want any preconceived notions set in his mind. He wanted to look at these military cases and judge them on uh, their own volition, of their own, you know, information that came along with them. And so that's what he did. And uh, he found some very credible cases and he found that there are indeed instances where our military is interacting with uh, technology that seems to be beyond what is humanly possible to make. And uh, that really... Uh, And this is somewhere, another area where people have questions that really to him was shocking. He tried to get that information up the ladder to say, look, we're getting into some really cool stuff here, but nobody seemed to want to take it seriously. That frustrated him. Eventually he leaves in early October. When he leaves, he says, and this is from my own interviews with him, he says that he really was just going to go get a job. Hopefully do some work with UFOs because he had an interest, but he wasn't expecting to be, you know, Mr. UFO truther or Mr. UFO disclosure or anything like that. Uh, but when he left, which makes sense because as we've talked about, all these tie-ins, people like Hal Putoff who worked at with ATIP and Bigelow, um, you know, and is working with To The Stars... People on the inside, you know, somehow one of these people told Tom DeLonge, hey, this is a guy you got to talk to. Tom DeLonge gets a hold of Elizondo and says, hey, I'm creating uh, an organization to research UFOs with some very high-level individuals, some of them you've worked with before. Would you be interested? And Elizondo said, heck, yeah. Yeah. He loves this topic. His whole purpose was to share with the public these amazing occurrences. So he said, heck yeah, I want to join you. He joined to the stars and he's been able to do just what he wanted. Investigate this stuff, share information with the public. The information that has been shared with the public has been so impactful to the public that uh, they have gotten a lot of attention from leadership in all the military branches and the Congress <laughs> We know that uh, the two the Stars, some of the two the Stars guys, along with witnesses from Nimitz, have been able to talk to several different committees at Congress, several different Congress people, and also military leaders, and that they did have a large influence on the Navy saying, okay, we're going to take this stuff seriously. We're going to take reports seriously. And that's why these guys would know, because they were there behind the scenes, how this is going to play out in the future. And they are confident, Lou is confident, that information will be shared from these the Navy cases with the public in the future. So there we go. I hope this cleared up a lot for all of you as far as how this all worked. Uh, I will have more articles. In fact, I've written more articles that haven't been printed yet that outline different parts of all of that I went over. And I am also putting to this together in other formats. For you all, so you can have uh, more comprehensive pieces of material that you can review to understand how all of this happened. It's all very, very complicated. And, you know, a lot of people, I feel, instead of getting into the details and doing the research, it's easier to make assumptions. And it's hard. You've got to have some discipline to say, hey, I can't make assumptions. I need to go find out what the deal is. You know, this, I need to ask Lou this. I need to ask Leslie this. I need to ask how put off this or so and so that. And all of these people are accessible, uh, especially the people that we need to question the most i found, are some of the most accessible. So really, uh, I think that, uh, that it's incumbent upon us to do good research and reporting to at least get their input first, even if we have evidence to counter what they're telling us. Or even if other parties say something different, then it's upon us to find out why are they saying something different? Why is Eric Davis saying, you know, he didn't know about tip and Harry Reid created the, word A- the term ATIP? Why? As he said, he said, well, I didn't know. I didn't know any of that. Lou would know better, which is true. And so Lou's told us why this has happened. So uh, all of these questions are discoverable. We've just got to ask those questions and, uh, you know, get into the muck, get into the details because the details are important. And to me, the details tell a much more interesting story. They tell a story of this group of scientists and intelligence personnel who have for years been looking into UFO and paranormal topics and gaining ground. In many cases, they have been, be- been taken very seriously. For goodness sakes, the remote viewing program, we had an ESP group for decades that our top law enforcement agencies were consulting in cold cases to be able to solve these cases. And many say... There's remote viewing projects that are secret that still exist, and we do know there are third party companies remote viewing companies that are contracted by law enforcement and others today in today's world. So I mind, gosh, how crazy is that, let alone all the wild stuff that happened at Skinwalker Ranch and how that has all inspired, you know, this this resurgence and government uh, focus on paranormal, especially UFOs, and that we've got this billionaire, Robert Bigelow, who funded a lot of this, and now he's building spacecraft with NASA. He might be, and and SpaceX, and doing all this amazing stuff. The story is huge, and it's terribly interesting, and it's really fun to stay close to, and I don't think... I think we have to fear being left out of the loop. And I think that's what a lot of it is. People are like, well, why can't I be involved with any of this? Well, you can. You just got to be involved. You know, these guys are going places. They're doing stuff. They're going to different events. You can be there. You can meet them. You can talk. You can be involved. You can get involved in the different forums that they're all talking at or, or looking at. You can watch the upcoming history show and share that information. Or, you know, if you do find some problems, if you do find, hey, this looks kind of fishy, let people know, write about it, cite your sources, and uh, it will be taken seriously. Some people have argued that they've pointed out problems that haven't been taken seriously. I totally disagree with that because I obviously have taken these things seriously. I've gone out to seek the answers to the questions that they're asking because I am taking it seriously. And I do think that they've had. Very, very valid questions. I just haven't felt that uh, they indicated any uh, foul play. Uh, that there could be prosaic answers to those questions. And, you know, uh, being someone who writes stories and interviews people on a regular basis, that's often the case. I don't even go into interviews with preconceived notions practically ever anymore, because when I did that, and I think I, with most journalists this happens, you know, we end up being wrong. You don't know what you don't know. If you don't know the inner workings of an organization— you're not gonna know why this happened or that happened until you ask. and then you get a better understanding and then you know why this or that may have happened. And often, you know, it just makes sense. It's people trying to do their jobs and uh, coming up with solutions or way to do things that uh, you may not have predicted. So uh, which makes complete sense. We don't do these jobs. That's why I bring to the table the interviews that I do, people like Nick Pope people like John Alexander who have government experience working in these fields, Eric Davis, um, and then our buddies who are looking at all of this, like Joe Mergia and and um, Mike DeMonte and Danny Silva who have questions and there's gaps in the information. We're all looking to uh, get this information out because then we can all work together to get this information out. Um, so I hope you appreciated this show. If this generated more questions for you, which I'm sure it did, uh, you know, send those emails to uh, contact at openminds.tv or any other you can. Contact me via my Patreon or Facebook or Twitter. A lot of people are sending me questions. Send those my way because this interview with Lou and I is going to happen. And even though we're waiting on the History Channel to kind of give us the uh, green light on the interview, as you can tell uh, from uh, in between the interview happens and uh, and uh, and now uh, I get a chance to talk to Lou and I will get some answers to questions that arise Uh, in between then. So I'll keep asking questions until the interview, but hopefully the very next show will be the interview. But anyway, let me give you some other news. Otherwise, the UFO Congress is going in full force. We have lots of speakers being added to the list on a regular basis. So go to ufocongress.com and look at the speaker list if you haven't recently. I mean, I think there were new speakers added yesterday. As soon as I'm done talking to you here, I'm going to add more information. So lots of information going up there, and the speaker list is getting better and better. And trust us, it will continue to get better and better. So check that out also the save 50 I told you last week that you could save 50 bucks uh on conference tickets well that's over but I'll tell you a little secret we have a save 40 coupon so you can still save 40 bucks if you go and you order one of the package ticket ticket deals use the code save 40 code save 40 at checkout that is save all uppercase. 40, and you'll get $40 off your ticket package when you go to ufocongress.com and get tickets. You're going to want tickets. There's no doubt about it. Go look at the list of people we have up there. Great list of people. And we're going to have more cool people added. So you just, you're just you going to have to be there. Martin's going to be there. If you he were here, he'll tell you. Next week, I'll have him tell you. So check out ufocongress.com. There's also new products, you know, a lot of people are scampering for and they're always wanting, hey, where can I get that UFO, uh, hovering UFO Bluetooth speaker that I see behind you sometimes when you do videos and stuff? Well, you can get that at the UFO Congress store. There's only a couple left. We got a batch in uh, just a week or so ago. And like I told you, they go fast and they are almost gone already, but we still do have a few left. So you could go find those at the UFO Congress store. You can also get t-shirts and stuff like that. Lots of that cool kind of stuff there, too. So check that out, ufocongress.com, and uh, get there as soon as you can. Otherwise, go to openminds.tv to find all of the latest news and latest radio programs. Also, if you go to my Patreon, or actually, I have a blog, Rojas.com. I always keep forgetting to tell people about my blog, alejantrotrojas.com. And that's where I post all my stories. Some of the times it's just links to my stories, but everything I'm doing you'll find at Rojas.com. But uh, you'll notice I'm posting lots of stories on my Patreon. And I am, for my subscribers, posting some uh, exclusive stuff there. So uh, at my Patreon, you can find a lot of exclusive information that you're not going to find anywhere else and in fact I am going this weekend to David Marler's wedding and uh, some of our UFO buddies will be there so I'll get more there the last piece I have was an interview with David Marlar. he wrote a book about triangular UFOs and he shared with us his favorite triangle UFO case and his thoughts on this Navy project so he shared a lot of great stuff with us uh, prior to that I had uh, what did I have I had some other pictures and stuff uh, oh with um. um our good buddy who's speaking at the conference and is on Ancient Aliens. He's one of the main dudes on Ancient Aliens, and he's a good buddy, good guy, David Hatcher Childress. So I posted a picture uh, that he shared with me uh, that you'll be able to see on there. So I've got more exclusive stuff coming up, at least on a regular basis or weekly basis. I think I'll be sharing uh, different cool stuff for you guys. So And it's for you only, behind-the-scenes kind of stuff. Uh, really cool stuff and and you can get that by being a uh, patron on my patreon site, and you know you can do that for as little as a buck a month so and that's a huge help for me so please do go do that you'll get exclusive content and uh it'll help me keep in the uFO business so for those of you who have done that, I want to say thank you. And let's read down this list. So I want to say thank you to Kurt, to Kevin, to Tracy, to William, to Rob, to Robert, to Carrie, to Don, to Marcel, to Dave, to Steve, to Brian, to John, to Ray, to Christine, to Brian, to Mitch, to Neil, to Dennis, to Patrick, to Larry, to Matt, Mitchell, Abraham, Alex, Michael, Nicole, Duncan, Jode, Micah, Darth, Sean, Steve, Clinton, Ruben, Robert, Christopher, Jeff. Kevin, Craig, Jean-Pierre, Richard and Rory. I want to say thank you all so much for becoming patrons uh, and thank you all for the great response since I've been requesting for people to become patrons too. It's it's so much fun to have a community, you know, where we can share and all together have a fascination with this topic and share this credible cool information. So thank you all so much for being part of the community. Thank you to Martin Willis for usually doing the news with us. Thank you, of course, to uh, Caleb Hanks, who does the opening and closed music. Thank you to Systematics for the bumper music. And especially thank you to all of you, whether you're a patron, patron, Patreon patron or not for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Join us next week for another exciting show. I've got tons of interviews lined up, let alone the Elizondo one. Really great stuff coming up. So stay tuned. Until next time, adios smooth chachos.